Welcome to episode 55 of Mancy, a podcast about magic and its influence on our culture. In each set of episodes, we cover a different Mancy or method of magic. I'm R.J. Walker. I'm a spoken word poet and writer. With me is my co-host, L. I'm L. Alder, a professional psychic and solitary eclectic witch. All right, we're wrapping up our coverage of augury, divination and magic with birds. We've looked at those who practice augury, like in the past, uh, in ancient times. Have you looked at me? Do I technically practice it? I, as of now, yeah. I am an augur. Officially, you're an augur now. Uh, outside of holding a, a political office in ancient Rome. Uh, so, Damn that. it. We looked, so close. We looked up the folklore and symbolism with birds and the omens they portend. And as we wrap up Augury, I'd like to take a look at the science. Mm-hmm. Kind of like we did with Meomancy, since technically observing birds to predict behaviors or affect the future is kind of technically Augury. Uh, And speaking of science, I am an idiot. For some reason, I had it in my head that a lemming was a type of bird. Okay, but are lemmings not? See, in my brain, lemmings look like blue-footed boobies. Like little teeny tiny huge feet. I don't know why I thought that. Yellow beaks. Like I totally had decided what a lemming looked like. They're not that. Yeah, they're... A rodent. They're a rodent. They look like uh, a pot gut. Lemmings like a ground squirrel. are indeed rodents. And I was going to talk about lemmings, but then they turned out to not be birds. Uh, so Elle and I might do some bonus content with the stuff I was going to talk about with lemmings later. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Probably on Patreon. Sorry about that. Yeah, that'll be for Patreon. We'll I mean, I feel like ma- like we should still talk about it because it is kind of horrifying and wild. But like, yeah. they are decidedly also ground squirrels. I'm I'm dumb. It really fits into the whole thing in Meomancy where I was talking about Disney and Mickey Mouse. Yeah, like it literally is. I think Meomancy might be like the darkest Mancy. Really, Meomancy so is the darkest yeah. Mancy. Well, was it not? It <laughs> More was than creepy. the fucking like Ouija board and like the necromancy and shit. Yeah, that's not that creepy because it's not real. Like, the mice are creepy. Rats are creepy. They killed people. The plague. The plague. They ate the plague bodies. It's creepy. It's dark. Meomancy's dark. I but mean, the rats we made friends with were very cute. We should we'll, save them forever. We'll see how dark the bird magic gets. Uh, okay. <laughs> Deal. It's, uh, however, a large majority of the birds I'd like to talk about in this episode are corvids. Corvids? Corvids. Wait. Isn't that the pandemic? Nope. Corvid oh. with an R oh. is a type of bird, like a classification of birds, which includes crows, ravens, magpies, blue jays, jackdaws, and similar. Uh, there's been like tons of fascinating research conducted on the intelligence of the, these creatures, and we found some really shocking things. And also, like, there's a, a very strong case for why we should have a symbiotic relationship with these animals. Like we yeah. should have a closer relationship I agree with these we animals. Yeah. Um, so here we go. Part three of Augury. Magic with birds. All right. So I'm starting us off with a word we can't pronounce. Um, yes. Let's go. Uh, Osnarbrook. Osnarbrook. <laughs> O-S-N. No. No R. Osnabrück, O S N A B R umlaut U C K. 
Osnabrück. Osnabrück. Yeah. It sounds like a oh, Viking that warrior. That sound actually, it sounds like um, a, a, a curse. It sounds like a curse. Osnabrück. <laughs> yes. Actually, like in Senua's Sacrifice, it sounds like that's one of the things that her voices would be saying <laughs> yeah. to her as you're like Senua, running through the demons. You will never be <laughs> loved by anyone, Osnabrück. Yes, I know. You don't need to tell me that. I'm aware of that. Thank what? you. No, this is in the game. This is this is what the demons say in the game. Stop no, listening. Fine. Are you We've listening to so Senua's real. demons? Are you listening? No, you listen I listen to, to my own demons Senua's because I am haunted in my brain by demons do by at, virtue of who I am. Do they at least tell you when enemies are attacking from behind? Absolutely not. They do fuck all for me. Everyone else gets to have help, and they're just like, "I bet you'll be really surprised with how this turns out." Like, super fucking helpful. Anyway, the, the Osnabrück <laughs> Research Group for Comparative Biocognition. Mm. I'm just going to call them the scientists. Uh, so they wanted to test the cognitive abilities of ravens. They started testing them as young as four years old. Uh, and they used the exact same cognitive test that has been used on great apes, the primate co- cognitive test battery, or PCTB. Basically... This is how we know great apes are smart. Okay, yeah. Uh, is We're able to test them using this system. Mm-hmm. The physical components of the PCTB tested cognitive functions such as the bird's spatial awareness, their ability to understand, ob- and their ability to understand object permanence. Mm-hmm. Like, do so you remember like where things goes, are? Like in a box. If I yeah. put a box over the top of this red ball, is the red ball still inside the box? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, The social components of the test measure communication and learning abilities. They adapted the test to work with beaks instead of fingers (laughs) and tested them at several points in their lifespan. So by I said four years old, they tested them at four months old. Okay. Yeah, that was incorrect. By four months old, they found that ravens were cognitively comparable to chimpanzees, able to use tools and solve complex puzzles. Wow. They're going to take over the world. They're going to take over the world. Um, Yeah. Another study was done on crows in 2011 regarding uh, memory. One group of ornithologists in Seattle noticed something interesting going on with the crows they were catching and releasing. Even though they hadn't seen the crows in like a year, two years, the birds would taunt them, harass them, or dive bomb them. The crows remembered the specific scientist who captured them years ago. So they weren't doing this to all the scientists. Just the ones that were part of the capture program a few mm. years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. They're like, I know you, motherfucker. Yeah, you motherfucker, you're back. Uh, not only that, but they remembered the specific face of the scientist who did the capturing, and he was the one who faced all of the harassment from Amazing. the crows. <laughs> this prompted them to study corvid memory, and they found that crows have the ability to remember faces. Not only that, but their brains light up similarly to ours when they recognize someone they know, especially someone they don't like. Yeah. Uh, the researchers were able to determine that crows can hold a grudge for up to two years. So if a crow is mean to someone, it is probably personal. Good reason. Uh, not only that, but crows will basically teach other crows to hold a grudge mm-hmm. against a certain person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if one crow is like, hey, 
it looks like Jimmy's over there dive bombing that guy. I, Let's he go. Must, he must hate that guy. <laughs> and we like Jimmy. Let's go help Jimmy jump this guy. <laughs> jump his ass. Beat him up. Bully him. Get his eyes. <laughs> Peck his eyes out. <laughs> Which might be, like we talked about this in the last episode regarding the folklore, that might be why crows have a fondness for criminals. Because the criminals probably harass the birds and the birds remember and fucking att- oh, really? attack them. Amazing. <laughs> Just like, hey, yeah, bitch, in your little fucking gibbet cage up here. <laughs> fucking eat your eyes, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> remember when you, threw, ro- now, remember when you threw rocks at us just because you're a mean person? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the lesson here is be nice to the birds. Be nice to crows because they will take it personally. Uh, so the, the study on whether or not crows can hold grudges involved scientists wearing silicone masks with neutral expressions. Uh, they wore one mask when capturing the birds and another when they were feeding them. The crows were able to recognize the masks as the threatening kind and the caring kind. Hmm. But what application? Why do we need to know this? (laughs) According to the scientists, they posit we can use the information to manipulate crow populations into targeting certain food sources over others, mitigating pests while allowing endangered species to repopulate. Oh, well, that'd be great. Just like influence crow diet, I guess. You know, that feels like meddling. It's it's meddling. Mm, okay. All we do is fucking meddle. I know. When are we going to not do that well, anymore? We're we're at the point of like no return. Like we've meddled so much that now we have to meddle to unmeddle what, our what meddling. What if we just let it go? Like what if we just let it be what it's going to be? Then and we, we just would have probably, the great apes take over. Like we, what if we just decide that? We would probably all die. I feel like they're going to do. A, well, right. But we're going to do that anyway. Like things are not good right now. <laughs> I'm just saying we should just let the. Let the crows take over. Let the crows inherit the earth. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. Uh, another thing corvids excel at is seeing through illusions ah! and seeing through deception. So you're saying don't let them come to my readings because they will know like, that it's fake. Caw, caw. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, but I think this is really fascinating how well the science lines up with the folklore. Yeah. Uh, because crows and ravens are used as symbols of wisdom. Like Odin has his crows so that he can see through deception and fucking gain access to knowledge and see clearly. Uh, And when I say illusions, I mean stage magic in particular. Uh, The Eurasian jay actually performs a bit of sleight of hand. It will wait for another jay to watch and then pretend to hide food in various places, essentially making it disappear. Like, ooh, where's the quarter, you know? (laughs) Uh, They do this to deter thieves, but that also means they're trained in spotting that deception so that they will, you know, find out where the food is hidden from the other jay. Researchers at the University of Cambridge wanted to measure how well they could outsmart a magician, specifically compared to humans. So they devised a study which pit human subjects against jays in a which hand is the coin in game. Hmm. The study involved three sleight of hand methods that would be used to fake out the subjects. The game is simple. Which hand has the prize? The magician would then do a quick transfer or a fake-out transfer using one of three techniques. A palm transfer, a French drop, and a fast pass. All three look fairly identical. 
The palm transfer involves hiding the prize in the palm of the hand, making it seem like you passed the prize to the other hand when it was not stuck in your palm. Mm -hmm. Uh, The French drop uses the thumb to conceal the prize as it moves from one hand to another, but you end up secretly dropping it into the other hand. Uh, So it returns to the original hand. The fast pass is simple. The prize is transferred to the other hand very quickly. So it's difficult to see whether it was transferred or not. The subjects did not know which method was being used each time. Okay. L, who do you think performed better? The Corvids or the people? Corvids. Of course, the Corvids. Of course, the the Brits. But why? Okay. Well, because humans are dumb and we want to believe in magic. Like, I don't go to magic shows to figure out how they're doing it. I want to go and be like, holy cow, this human made this quarter disappear. So I would say that that's a thing, but also the Corvids don't know that it's for entertainment. They think they're trying to find a thing, which is like a survival instinct. Humans don't have very good those. Um, And so Corvids, you know, really would be like more inclined to pay closer attention, I feel like. That's pretty close to the to the answer the study came to. Mm-hmm. The results of the study led the scientists to believe that the Jays' decisions <coughs> were motivated strictly by what they observed, while human decisions were motivated by what they expected. The stage magician will tell you that most of the time they are toying with people's expectations. You expect the coin to be in one place, but it is in another. The Jays, on the other hand, only wanted the prize. <laughs> they, they didn't care about their expectations. They just wanted the prize. Uh, and they based their actions on what they immediately observed rather than what they expected in the future. Mm-hmm. So if you want to beat a stage magician, empty yourself of expectations and focus only on what you have observed. Sherlock Holmes would say, don't draw conclusions until you've compiled all of the evidence. Who actually cares about Sherlock Holmes, though? Who cares about Sherlock Holmes? Who cares? <laughs> I'm studying Sherlock Holmes in one of my classes. Yeah, RJ is taking an entire class. It's a on lot Sherlock of Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. And you know what? I don't know anyone who cares about it besides the <laughs> professor, the only human. I, technically, the professor cares about 19th century literature. Yeah, why did Sherlock Holmes is just part of it, I guess. RJ and I have had this conversation about it so yeah. many times this semester. So, Corvid's being intelligent enough to solve basic puzzles and see through magicians and having memory enough to recognize faces uh, and objects actually bodes well for a symbiotic relationship. With yeah. Them. Uh, I want to reiterate that you cannot domesticate crows, ravens, or magpies. Do not try to domesticate a corvid. It's not going to work for you. They can be tamed. They can be be trained, but they cannot be domesticated. They are friends, not pets. Do do not think that crows can be your pets. They cannot. You will kill them uh, or hurt yourself. Uh, but you can make them trust you enough to hang out with you occasionally. Uh, right now, crows are being symbiotically utilized by people to help with environmental cleanup. Crows are being trained to pick up cigarette butts and toss them in the trash. Yeah, I love that. So far, there are two initiatives training crows to pick up litter. One is at a French theme park. An ornithologist brings his six trained crows to the theme park along with a special garbage box. The crows then scour the park for cigarettes and return to the scientist with the box. And every time they drop a piece of trash in the box, he presses a button and it dispenses some food. Uh, This helps clean up the park and the theme park goers get to see the crows do a cool trick. Yeah, and the crows get to have some food and get some yummy. Oh, yeah, that's that's kind of fun. Yeah. That's kind of fun. That's that's Rocco with training. He's like, I want some foodies. Yeah. In (laughs) Sweden, though, they're taking this 
absolutely serious. Of course they are. It's Sweden. Yeah. <laughs> They're very serious about progressive movements. Absolutely. So they've begun implementing crow trash cans, which work like the the one in France, but they're automated. So they're not really supervised by a human. Uh, they train a large group of crows that they will get food if they deposit a cigarette butt in the crow trash can. And they put a treat in the dispensing cans. Nice. They put these street dispensing cans all over the city. They project it will lower cleanup costs by 75%. Wow. Not only that, but crows teach other crows how to do tasks. So pretty soon, we're going to have a crow-powered like garbage crew. I love that. I think it's really funny. It's like, hey, hey, Jeremy, check this out. Check this out. You drop one of these yellow things inside this hole. And then fucking bird seed comes out. <laughs> and then you get the bird seed. And you just have to, these yellow fucking worm things are everywhere. And they taste nasty, but you get bird seed if you put them in the bird seed hole. I wonder, yeah, like what the perception of the taste is for birds. How does, bird, how does taste work for birds? I don't know. Why didn't you look at that? This is your science episode on augury. How does taste work for birds, RJ? I don't know. I know they can't taste spicy. A lot of people think that, like, hot peppers became hot to, like, ward off animals like birds eating them. But that's not true. Only mammals with really complex nervous systems can taste spicy. So, like, humans, dolphins. That's why bear spray has to be so strong because their nervous system is not super, super developed enough. to. So, literally, hot peppers are spicy because we selectively bred them to be spicy because we just wanted to hurt ourselves for fun. Yeah. Ungo bungo make fire fruit hurdy in mouth place. Uh, that's why spicy is spicy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, now, <laughs> I want to talk about a very special kind of bird. One that can be domesticated, has been domesticated, and has been largely abandoned by humanity. The pigeon. It's really quite sad. Like, these birds were, like, essential for communication, and people dedicated their entire lives and careers to raising them for, like, 2,000 years. They were brought up all over the world for the, sa- for the sake of sharing a symbiotic relationship with us, and then we just fucking abandoned them. Yeah, we and did. People call them rats with wings, when really, there are discarded children. Uh, they are our fault. Humanity is to blame if pigeons have become pests. Yeah. Meddling. I mean, everything. Everything is like humanity's <laughs> fault. We did this all because we thought we were greater than the earth, and we are not. And now we're finding out. So for those who don't know, pigeons or homing pigeons were used to send messages. Homing or honing? Homing. Okay. As in home. I thought they were honing with an N. And so. Like like sharpening? Like honing? Yeah. I don't know. I'm a honing pigeon. Sounds I carry similar. two katanas. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, So homing pigeons, like a homing missile, uh, were used to send messages as early as ancient Persia. Mm -hmm. Like ancient fucking Iran. Mm -hmm. Like cradle of humanity. Pigeons have, have the uncanny ability to always return to their nest, no matter how far they've been taken. And they're not, like, totally infallible. They, They probably can't cross an ocean. But still, they always return to their nests. That's how this works. 
they're they're really reliable long distance message carriers, and they're faster than people because birds fly faster than we can go. Uh, they were particularly valued during wartime. A besieged fortress could still receive communications from troops in the field. All they had to do was release the pigeon they took with the message on it. Uh, of course, they fell out of fashion with other forms of communication, such as the telegram and the radio. But they were never fully supplanted by these technologies. In fact, war pigeons played an integral role during both world wars. Telegrams could be easily tracked. I mean, you just like follow the wire. <laughs> you, <laughs> you cut the wire and like communications are down. <laughs> like it's not that hard. And it's easy to locate like and disrupt communications that are sent by telegram. Uh, and people that are running are pretty easy to shoot. <laughs> it's like running with messages. And radios didn't have the range or portability that they have today. Radio communications could also be easily intercepted and heard by anyone else with a radio. This made pigeons the most viable option for communication from behind enemy lines. Yeah. 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 Is it, am I getting boring? No, I'm... Very distracted by a lot of things. I'm sorry. Okay. It's, it's, it's about to get exciting. I didn't think the episode was going to be about this, but it turned out to be about this. Okay. Um, I'm ready. So war pigeons actually worked in concert with the communication systems that would eventually replace them. A pigeon behind enemy lines, uh, from behind enemy lines, like a fly from enemy lines to safe place, land in a telegram office in its coop with a message. This would cause a buzzing sound to notify the soldier in the signal corps. Be like, oh, the pigeon's here. He would read the message, typically written in shorthand or even a cipher, and then he would relay it via telegram to its intended destination. And I'm not going to lie. I did not foresee myself writing an episode about pigeon war heroes. But we're going to talk about some pigeons who saved a lot of lives. Basically, these are the bird versions of Balto. Yeah. Like, these are like heroic, like legendary pigeons. Probably the most notable one I found was named Cher Ami, who was a homing pigeon from World War I. Mm. Cher Ami. Cher Ami. Cher Ami. Uh, as you can imagine, being a war pigeon was a dangerous gig. It's tough out here for a pigeon in the trenches. Soldiers knew that pigeons might be carrying important intel and communications, so they would try to shoot down every pigeon they saw flying away from their side of the battlefield. Trained falcons would also be implemented to try to hunt down and kill messenger pigeons. And that's really the sort of origin of, of falconing in wartime. <laughs> yeah. This is not even to mention the general dangers that come from being a pigeon, like wild predators and disease and bad weather. <laughs> it's like a really strong gust just yeets the pigeon yeah. into the ground. Yeah. Uh, it was rare for pigeons to return unscathed and even more rare that they would survive more than like 10 missions. Cher uh, ami, which means dear friend in French, was donated by the pigeon fanciers of Britain for use in the U.S. Army for World War I. And he would go on to become a hero. Mm. Here's the story. This shit's wild. Wild. All right. On October 3rd, 1918, Major, Major Charles White Whittlesey was, uh, and more than 550 of his men were trapped in a small depression on the side of a hill behind enemy lines, and they were out of food, and they were out of ammunition. They were sitting ducks. 
they were also receiving friendly fire from Allied troop like batteries who no. did not know their location. They were surrounded on all sides by uh, Germans. Many were wounded, and only 119 four men were still alive and not captured or wounded by the end of the engagement. So 550 down to 194. Wow. Because his runners were constantly getting intercepted or wounded, uh, or just like killed by the Germans, Whittlesey began to dispatch messages by pigeon. He didn't have very many. The pigeon carrying the first message read, Many wounded. We cannot evacuate. That pigeon was immediately shot down. He was like, fly, you carry all of our hopes. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) The second bird was sent with the message, men are suffering. Can support be sent? That pigeon also immediately shot down. The artillery batteries supporting Whittlesey's men attempted to provide a barrage of protection uh, on the north slope of the Chevalot Ravine, mm-hmm. Charlevoix Ravine. But they thought uh, all these men were on the southern side of the slope. So they were shooting at, at him. Them. Oh, no. <laughs> they had no idea. That's why they're called the Lost Battalion. Like yeah, this group is called the Lost Battalion because they didn't know where they were, right? Uh, and so they were getting shot at by everyone, including their own people. Uh, yeah, bad, bad. Yeah. So last, we're down to our last pigeon here, Cher Ami. He dispatched it with a note and written on some onion paper because they were out of regular paper, just like some fucking onion onion peel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) He wrote, uh, we are along the road parallel to... 276.4, which is like the coordinates. Our own artillery is dropping a barrage directly on us. For heaven's sake, stop it. Stop. <laughs> like, Please. you can tell how fucking done he was by the time. Like, the other message is very succinct, very clear. This one's like, for heaven's sake, please. Please help. Oh my God. Stop. So, he sends out Cherami with his onion message. And Cherami takes off. The Germans see him rising out of the bush and open fire. After several seconds, he was shot down. Just fucking sh- mm-hmm. into the dirt. But that motherfucker got back up. He did? He fucking got back up and flew away. And they didn't get him. He arrived back in his loft at division headquarters 25 miles away. Wow. Uh <laughs> And saved the lives of all 194 survivors. Cherami had been shot through the chest, blinded in one eye, and had one leg only dangling by a tendon. Oh, my God. <laughs> this bird got fucked up, but still went home. Cherami hmm. became the hero of the 77th Infantry Division. Army medics worked to save this bird's life as best they could. When the bird had recovered enough to travel, uh, like it survived. Mm. <laughs> the bird survived thanks to the army medics who were like, you saved 194 people. We have to save you, pigeon. Uh, yeah. This now one-legged bird was put on a boat to the United States with General John J. Parishing seeing him off. And then in November 2019, 
Cher Ami was one of the first posthumously awarded the Animals in War and Peace Medal of Bravery, a new medal specifically to commemorate animal contributions to the military. The British already had that, though, like back in World War I times. It was called the Dickin Medal, and 32 pigeons are decorated with wow. it. Wow. Crazy. It's kind of cool. Yeah. One pigeon that received the Dickin Medal was named G.I. Joe. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Which is really just kind of like it was slang for like an American soldier. soldier. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't mean the action figure uh, like it does today. Here's his story, because this is also wild. During the Italian campaign of World War II, G.I. Joe saved the lives of an entire village in Italy. And one of the, one of the British troops of the 56th London Infantry Division that, were, that was occupying it. Air support had previously been requested against German positions taken in the Italian town on the 18th of October, 1943. However, the 196th Infantry Brigade attacked and won back the village from the ground. Mm. The like ahead of time, but they were unable to transmit a message via radio to call off the American air raid that was going to bomb the village. Mm. G.I. Joe was dispatched. They were like, we have no way of contacting them. The only thing we have is this fucking pigeon. <laughs> so they send G.I. Joe with a message uh, to call off the air raid, and it arrived within minutes uh, of the air raid about to drop the bomb. Mm. With it, like it flew 20 miles in 20 minutes. That's just crazy. That's crazy for a pigeon. That's crazy. Just as the planes were like getting ready to take off, the fucking uh, pigeon shows up and says, don't do it and saved a hundred lives. Hmm. Uh, on November 4th, 1946, G.I. Joe was presented with the Dickin Medal for Gallantry by Major General Charles uh, Kite. K-E-I-G-H, Kitely, uh, at the Tower of London. Uh, the citation credits him with the most outstanding flight made by a United States Army homing pigeon during World War II. Good job, uh, the, buddy. The award is basically like the animal equivalent of the Victoria Cross or the Medal of Honor. Mm-hmm. Uh, G.I. Joe was the 29th and the first non-British recipient of the Dickens Medal. In 2019, also awarded the American version, the Animals of Animals in War and Peace Medal of Bravery. Um, yeah, he's currently like stuffed <laughs> and on display. Uh, like he lived the rest of his life, like in, in a very, in a beautiful habitat at the Detroit Zoological Gardens, mm-hmm. um, and died at the age of 18 and he was mounted and he's on display at the U S army communications electronics museum in Fort Monmouth. Hmm. So yeah. Yeah. And like I said, there are 32, 32 pigeons that, that won this award. We got fucking, we got Winky. Winky assisted in the rescue of an air crew forced to ditch the in the North Sea during the Second World War. We got Commando. Uh, Commando carried out crucial intelligence and like spycraft and flew over 90 missions, a record. Wow. Like survived 90 missions, Commando. Uh, we got fucking Patty. Is an Irish carrier pigeon awarded with the Dickin Medal for being the fastest pigeon to arrive back in England the, at the success of the D-Day invasion. We got William of Orange. <laughs> it was a, a pigeon uh, delivered a message from the airborne operation, saved more than 2,000 soldiers at the time of the Arnhem, the Battle of the Arnhem. 
Uh, we got Mary of uh, Ex- Exeter, <laughs> Mary of Exeter, mm-hmm. <laughs> transporting uh, important messages across the English Channel back to her loft in England uh, about enemy locations. We got fucking Gustav. Fucking Gustav got the dick in metal. Uh, first to report on the Normandy landings. Uh, and we got Beachcomber. <laughs> was a Canadian pigeon. I don't know what he did, but his name is Beachcomber and he got the dick and metal. Good for him. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't think I was going to be doing an episode on pigeon war heroes, but, but I think it's really fascinating how many lives were saved by these dumb birds. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Also, fucking share of me being the fucking the goat yeah. over here getting shot three times and fucking getting back up. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, uh, because pigeons were per, like performing feats of hero, heroism in the field of recon, reconnaissance, one absolute fucking psychopath by the name of B.F. Skinner wanted to implement them as weapons technology. This is where it gets dark. Uh, during World War II, he headed up Project Pigeon, which was dedicated to creating pigeon-guided bombs. Okay. Now, Elle, I am going to describe how this monstrosity was supposed to work. <laughs> it was just so fucking terrible. Basically, this was a precursor to the drone strikes that we all just know and love today. Mm. Project Pigeon. He's like homing pigeon, homing missile. They're the same. <laughs> They're, we make It'd these be the, the same. same. Yeah. yeah. Here's how it worked. They built an unmanned, unpowered glider. So, like, it wasn't a plane. It was just plane-shaped. It was a glider that would be released from an actual airplane with, like, an explosive payload on it. The glider would serve as the homing missile. It would steer itself uh, and stay on target and then explode whenever it crashed into whatever it was aiming at. Except it wasn't really steering itself. It was being steered from a small compartment on the nose of the glider by a pigeon. The glider would use radar to put a blip on a touchscreen. The pigeon was trained to peck at the blip, and it would receive a bit of birdseed every time it pecked at it. If the pigeon pecked on the left side of the screen, the glider would steer left. If it picked on the right side of the screen, it would steer right. That way, it would always stay in the center on target. And when the glider hit its mark, boom. Mm. So I imagine this fucking pigeon being like, ooh, peck, peck, a piece of candy. Ooh, peck, peck, a piece of candy. Ooh, peck, peck, boom. Yeah. Just, why? Uh, humans are actually the worst. Why... Especially after all the great things pigeons have been doing, why did we think well, this was a good idea? No, because, like, at the end of the day, we want to, like, you know, rise up, like, the 36 pigeons that we that were useful to us. And then the other ones are birds. They're dispensable. <laughs> yeah. Just get rid of them and use them. Clearly, just the 36 or whatever that are honored are the ones that, you know, they're the superior ones. They just, deserve better than the other ones. Just fucking Winky and G.I. Joe and Cherami and Beachcomber. <laughs> yeah. While the National Defense Research Committee saw this technology as impractical, they still handed over $25,000 for the project. 
Not soon after, though, like electronic targeting systems would prove effective yeah. enough to use instead of pigeon suicide planes. Despite B.F. Skinner showing success with his project, like, look, I made the pigeon blow up the thing. Uh, it was eventually shut down. And B.F. Skinner complained that our problem was that nobody would take us seriously. Which, like, yeah, what the fuck, bro? Like, no. Like, even if you were taken seriously, you'd be taken seriously as a psychopath. What the fuck? Uh, I mean, it's it's not as crazy as bat bombs. And we'll probably talk about bat bombs in a later episode because that's just fucking wild. But still, pigeons were, like, flying above the damn trenches, being whole-ass war heroes. And this fucker was like, you know, what if we just, like, blew them up? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, terrible. And now uh, I'd like to talk about how pigeons are used today. Okay. IP over avian carriers. Uh, This is a joke, but it's a serious joke. It's one of those things that's like, it's a joke because it's true. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. If that makes sense. So IP over avian carrier is a proposal to carry internet protocol, just like packages of data, by homing pigeons rather than sending it through the internet because of download and upload speeds. And it was like described on a messaging board, uh, like a public messaging board during the early days of the internet. Like I, uh, it was released on April 1st, 1991 as an April Fool's Day like sort of request for comments in the creation of the internet of like, wouldn't it be faster if we sent these internet packages via carrier pigeon? Mm. And a couple of people were like, that's hilarious. And it's like a, a longstanding joke now in it is IP over Asian avian carriers. Um, but <laughs> they actually tested it. <laughs> they actually tested Cause if it's a meme, why wouldn't you, you gotta know it has been successfully, uh, implemented at least nine times. And in those times, it was proven that it was literally faster to send large packets of data via carrier pigeon than it is to download and upload them. Uh, one specific test involved a large YouTube video of a guy getting his hair cut. Uh, they just put a fucking flash drive with a video on Do a Do you pigeon. remember that when that was what YouTube was? Yeah. Just people cut dumb, their hair and shit. Dumb things. Yeah. He's like, I have this really large video. It doesn't really mean anything. What matters is the size. Yeah. Right. Um, and he sends it through YouTube to like download and upload. And then he also sends a homing pigeon with a flash drive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And the homing pigeon arrived first before the YouTube video because uh, I think their internet blinked out or something. And so they had to restart it. <laughs> and so the pigeon won. How long did it take the pigeon to get there? How many minutes did it say? Um, let's see. This was done by the BBC uh, one hour and 15 minutes later. Huh. This was in 2005. So y'all have to understand, like, broadband was not that fast in 2005. Yeah, the internet was very different. Yeah, this was like, and it was HD video, too. So YouTube versus Pigeon, the Pigeon one. Um, That's and like, wild. Today, of course, the internet is a lot faster than a Pigeon. However, when it comes to extremely large packets of data, like terabyte and above, it's still faster to send it by carrier Pigeon. 
<laughs> on, on a drive. Um, yeah. So this is actually what's called SneakerNet, which is, I think, kind of funny. <laughs> so SneakerNet is when you send data in physical form over a distance rather than sending it through digital form. And currently, IP over avian carrier, I keep saying Asian. Aegean. Aegean. The Aegean Sea. The Aegean Sea, yeah. IP over Aegean Carrier is being implemented by, like, tour guides uh, and river guides who send the birds with all the photos they had taken. Oh. um, Because there's no cell service, so they can't really send it over the internet anyway. That gets sent to the tower, then it uploads it. Uh, So it seems... Capitalism. It seems like a joke. And it is a joke. Um, Like... There are all kinds of risks that make it impractical, like fucking storms and like being eaten by a falcon. <laughs> Imagine losing one terabyte of data because a falcon was hungry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, uh, your pictures? I'm so sorry, ma'am. They actually got lost in the river because the pigeon was eaten. Yeah. So, so we've got to send a new pigeon. We've got to um, put it all so back your, on the So your photos are gone forever, ma'am. That was the only copy. I, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, based on the, the, the latency of these issues, it is still cheaper to send it over carrier pigeon uh, because you only have to buy the, the storage device once and then maybe a few more times if the pigeon fails. Um, <laughs> somebody posted a photo of a package loss and it's just like a dead pigeon on the ground just no like, uh, packet loss <laughs> oh no so that's the state of carrier pigeons today uh, we, we brought them here we abandoned them they are our unloved children we should reappreciate the pigeon yeah Anyway, now Elle and I are going to head to the Tracy Aviary. Basically, it's a zoo, but for birds. Specifically, uh, the Tracy Aviary is dedicated to conservation. Like, a large portion of what they do isn't inside the aviary itself. They take people on, like, nature walks and, like, bird watching and that kind of thing. They help repopulate. Like, all their captive animals are there to help repopulate endangered species, educate people on bird conservation, and provide veterinary care to wild birds and serve as a rescue home for disabled and injured birds that can't live in the wild anymore. Uh, If you remember from part two, when we went to Allen Park, the founder of Allen Park was behind the creation of Tracy Aviary. I guess he didn't want to keep all the birds at his house anymore and figured it would be better if they were not in his backyard. Uh, Anyway, Elle, shall we go meet some birds? Yeah, let's go do it. We are at the Tracy Aviary. Elle and I have been wandering around looking for the magic bird uh, that will answer the question that that has been posed by Jonathan, who at first asked, is COVID over? And I doubled back, checked real quick. It's not over. So I think the core of the question really is, how is COVID going to affect my affairs in the future? Uh, So that's the question we're posing to the, the bird. And maybe you can hear him squeak, squeak chirping. Yeah, we'll be quiet so you can talk. That's him. That's the northern helmeted curacao, only from Venezuela. 
uh, L has determined this is the magic bird. It's got like a a big old rock helmet thing that it wears on its head. I mean, wears or grows, I think is. Yeah, grows. It grows on its head. Yes. Mm-hmm. He has a lot to say. Um, so we're just kind of observing him. He's missing a few toes. Oh. Yeah. A lot of the birds in Tracy Aviary have some kind of deformity or issue um, and are kept usually for breeding uh, and for educational purposes. Because they can't live on their own. Yeah. Th- this one is on the uh, red list. It is currently endangered. So it's kept in the habitat to help with uh, breeding and reestablishing the population. Come over here. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Um, So when I came up, he's the only bird that's talked to us, I would say. He also was eating rocks. He's like picked up like three different rocks and tried to eat it and then like spat them out and then tried to eat them again a few different times. And he has a lot to say. Yes. And um, that to me is kind of like particularly with him eating rocks because we haven't even seen anyone like any birds doing some really interesting behaviors at all. No. They've all been birds. We've bird. been doing this. Like the kookaburra did the really interesting laugh at us. Yeah, that was fun. We got to hear a starling, and yeah. that was beautiful. But that's just like what they do. <laughs> right. So this is some bird shit. So this is like he's doing some like weird. Oh. Eating a rock. Found another rock. <laughs> um. And so it feels a little bit like. You know, maybe we learned some lessons. Maybe we figured out what does and doesn't work with COVID, and we need to kind of respect that. Or that it feels like it's going to keep popping its head up, or that it's not going to be, like, all the way gone. Like, it's never going to take a rock and turn it into a seed, you know? But there are things that you can do, like, not trying to eat the rock, like taking a different approach, looking at things from a different perspective or different angle, Um, And trying to, I don't know, kind of use your wisdom. Like, I think that that's the big thing is that if you know, if you can foretell that something is going to happen or you can predict it in some way, it might be a good idea to honor that instead of continuing to try the same thing. So that would be like, we all know that there's going to be aspects of COVID that probably will go through phases in which it rears. There's like a, a peak and then a valley and all of that stuff consistently. But it's important to look at the things that have worked for your events, for your life, the things that we have figured out about COVID and figuring out how to integrate those things with our wisdom so that we can navigate it with more ease. Yeah, I, I definitely have to say somebody who's doing live events work like I know Jonathan does flexibility is everything backup plans for your backup Another plans rock. yeah do you find it oh that was icky rock did and, not taste good and just keep trying you know uh if something goes wrong uh is work around it <laughs> no, this is RJ's reading and advice the, that's what you've gathered from the, the bird that's what I've gathered from living through COVID for two years okay yeah that's what he's doing that's uh, th- that is the wisdom of the norm- northern helmeted uh, curacao. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you, buddy, for Thank your you. advice and input. Thank you for your tips. You found, looking for another rock? Yep. Yep. Found a rock. <laughs> found a rock. Delicious. <laughs> uh, he did find some nice, like, grass that he ate. Yeah, he did. So, Jonathan, stop eating rocks. Find the grass. <laughs> find your peeps. Bitch about stuff if you're upset. <laughs> Keep going. Rock. I like this little bird. I like him a lot. Okay, uh, Jonathan, I hope that was helpful. Hit us up on Patreon, and Elle will do a reading for you on the show using whatever divination method we're covering. If you like my writing, you can find books at rjwalkerpoet.com. I've also got a play coming up. We're telling the story of Marie Ogden in the Home of Truth. Uh, if you remember from our automatic writing episode, we're doing this at Allen Park. Uh, and you can find tickets on Eventbrite. Home of Truth, a ghost town play. If you wanted to get a reading from me, you can find me on my Etsy, Laurels of Lux, my website, laurelsoflux.com. You can email me, laurelsoflux at gmail. Um, yeah. Music was provided by, in order of appearance, Hayden Fulker, Miyu, and Scott Buckley. <laughs>